0: My name is Stephanie. I'm part of the team here in Redeemer. Um, It is my privilege to speak to the last letter of the seven letters to the churches in Revelation. We've been in this series now for seven weeks, obviously. And um, I am speaking to the the last letter to the church at Laodicea. My husband reminds me to take a few breaths at the beginning to slow me down, so I'm gonna do that because he says sometimes I get all hyper. So I'm gonna breathe. Okay. I've put up as my first slide, let him who is an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And that is repeated to every church in the seven letters that we've been reading. Um, and so I want to start with that and pray that this morning that each of you will have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to you, and that what is of me will fall away and be irrelevant, and what he is saying will land and and live with you this week as as we reflect and think about this morning. DA summed up last week, the big idea of Revelation is this stunning and beautiful visual portrayal of Jesus and his kingdom. It's understood best as the climax of prophecy throughout the Bible. It's interpreting Jesus in the light of the Old Testament and it also reminds us to interpret the Old Testament in the light of Jesus. For those of you who haven't read Brian Zahn's wonderful book, Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God, that is his theme. If you want to think about the works and the, the rules and the regulations of the Old Testament, only understand them in the light of a graceful and merciful Jesus. So always interpret things through him. And so when we read, be very mindful of of the beauty and the grace-filled life of a merciful Jesus, the truly, truly beautiful one. This book, Revelation, gives us a fresh envisioning of the future, drawn from a prophetic tradition. These letters are written to help us live under the empire that we find ourselves in, whilst we wait for everything to be made new. Just what we've been talking about this morning. He will make all things new. There's a body of thinking, a lot of commentators, and they say that each letter speaks to an age since time began, and that we're now in the last age, and therefore we should read Revelation as a Laodicean. And and that's an interesting idea. And that's, I think, where it ends. For me, this mantra, let him who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. That means that there's messages throughout all of these letters that are pertinent to us. And I believe that although some people say the West is like the Church of Laodicea, I wonder about that. I think we can find truth in all of the letters that is pertinent to us in this age, as we've talked about throughout this series. Petersons reminds us, look and find out what your unholy spirit is, and then address it and find a way. So today I want to consider life in Laodicea and the church that this letter was actually written to, and I want to propose what I think is a theme throughout the letter that was a spiritual illness that I sense we have much to learn from. I sense that we suffer from the same spiritual illness that was found in this letter, as I prepared for this preach, I was really drawn to this promise in First Thessalonians chapter four, and it just it kind of undid me. Um, God hasn 't invited us into a disorderly, unkempt life, but into something holy and beautiful, as beautiful on the inside as it is on the outside and I don't know about you but in the summertime we tend to slow down, we tend to relax a little bit and sometimes what that evokes in us is a feeling of absolute exhaustion or perhaps absolute fear of what the next season is going to bring and I don't know if that resonates for any of you but maybe it's just me but (laughs) over the summer I've started to think oh we're all starting again and I think this letter speaks to me and I imagine it will speak to many of us. I have a friend in England who sends very funny cards and um, I don't know if what's the one before maybe we'll try to see if you can see the painting can you see Jesus standing at the door so that's Jesus at the door it's an image that's talked about in this letter and it's used a lot for evangelism. He's standing at the door and he's knocking. Are you going to let him in? And, and that's, um, we'll come to that in the passage. But Claire, my friend, sent me a letter. And it's this image on the front. And it says on the front, Jesus is coming. And inside, look busy. That was a joke. <laughs> look busy. But you see, some of you might think that's a terribly irreverent card. But I actually think we've imbibed that belief that to be a follower of Jesus, we have to look busy. We have to buy into success, busyness, productivity, things, stuff, image, all of it, and it's rubbish. It's nonsense. Jesus calls into us to a simple, unhurried life of deep connection with him, deep connection with him, which starts, begins, and ends here. And that is what I want to remind us of this morning. I'm concerned that I have bought into the culture of busyness and productivity, somehow thinking that my performance and my busyness and my productivity is the hallmark of a follower of Jesus. And this letter reminds me that I've got that wrong. Here is the promise of Jesus in Matthew, and I want us to come to it at the end, because it resonated so deeply with me as I I thought about this letter. Are you tired, worn out, burned out in religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn my unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or all fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you will learn to live lightly and freely. And so as we read this letter this morning and we think about it, let's hold these promises as the antidote to the life described in this letter and the warnings therein, and let's see what resonates. And for those of you this morning, I want to speak to you who are burnt out and weary on religion who are exhausted and who are wondering what's it all about and I perhaps would suggest that we've bought into the wrong idea and I use the word bought very carefully and intentionally that this was not the call of your life this is not the call of your life the call of your life is to live in communion with the beautiful one okay I want to talk about Laodicea and life there um, because I think it offers us some very helpful understandings of um, who Jesus was writing to and perhaps some of the images and metaphors he used. Um, I was talking to my daughter on Friday and she asked me what letter we were on, and I said Laodicea. And she went, Oh, look warm, spit out of the mouth, great. <laughs> and I thought, Yes, but there's more. There's so much more, but I've rarely heard teaching. I, I realised over the course of my life that the only part I know about the letter of Laodicea is: "You look warm, and I'm going to spit to you out of my life, out of my mouth." And I remember as a teenager and in my twenties thinking, "Am I look warm? Am I hot? Am I cold? Am I look warm? Am I about to be spat out?" And it almost became a thing that I, 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 I bought into, that I worried that I was not hot or cold, and I want to maybe invite us to think that this was simply a metaphor that would have meant a lot to the Laodiceans because of their city, and that maybe we've used it to get into this idea that we have to be busy and productive and and all of that when actually that's not the call of Jesus. So Laodicea and life there, the word itself means indifferent or lukewarm. In modern Turkey, it's near the city of Denizli. It's 17 kilometers west of Colossae and about 10 kilometers south of Herapolis. Those are important because it's to do with their water supply. The church there was uh, set up by Epaphras, who was a disciple of Paul, and he also set up the church at Colossae. He established it. And so in Colossians chapter 4, in the letter to them, uh, Paul says, read this letter to the church of Laodicea. And and likewise, he says to them, and you and Colossae, read the letter to Laodicea. So these churches were very very carefully linked. What was the city known for? It was a very wealthy community. It was right on the trade route. They did very well for themselves. They did so well that they minted their own coins. They didn't use the, the money of the empire. They had their own money. They were very flourishing and commercially successful. And in AD 60, there was an earthquake that flattened the whole of the city. And it was in the time of Nero, and the state offered to rebuild the city. And the Laodiceans were so proud and so successful and so wealthy, they said, no, we don't want your money, we're going to rebuild ourselves. They were so wealthy, they didn't need to take from the state. So it was a city that was known for its wealth and its banking. The other thing it was known for was there was a very particular sheep that, uh, that um, kind of flourished in that area and it produced black wool. And so there was a wool that was only from this area in Laodicea and very beautiful black clothes. I'm wearing black today, amazing. Uh, very beautiful black clothes were made and if you were a wealthy Laodicean, you reminded everyone of your wealth by purely wearing black interesting when we read the thing they were also famous for their medical school their school of ophthalmology was worldwide known there it was on the corner of an area called Fergia, and there was a powder there that was used to create an eye salve and that eye salve was shipped all over the ancient world to deal with blindness it's all very interesting you're nodding good ruth i'm enjoying that nod that's good So this was was what they were known for. Their black wool, their eye salve, and the fact that they were wealthy and very, very independent. The weakness with the city was it had no water supply of its own. And so archaeology showed us that they built an aqueduct under the city with stone pipes, six miles of them, and they brought their water in from two sources from Herapolis I spoke about six miles north, which were hot sulfur springs, and the cold pure water from Colossae. And by the time those two sources merged and got to the city, it was lukewarm. It had too much sulfur in it, and it tended to make you want to spit it out. Wow. So Black clothes, eye salve that heals blindness, wealthy and independent, lukewarm water. These were metaphors. These were images that were completely describing the city and the community of Laodicea. And I wonder, have we taken some of them too literally and understood them in a different way? When actually what Jesus was trying to say to them, which he said to, them, said to every church community across these letters is, I know you, I know your past, your present, and your future. So if we think of all these things, these facts about the city, let's then look at the passage, and I take it from Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. It should be up behind us, or you can look in your your Bibles on the desk. Write this letter to the angel of the church at Laodicea. This is a message from the one who is the amen the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you're wretched and miserable, poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so that you will not be ashamed of your nakedness. And ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. So if we think about the city now, In the light of this letter. There's a few things I just want to speak to. Verse 14 I write this letter, this is the message from the one who is the Amen, the faithful and true witness. Jesus is reminding us again that he was the author and originator of creation. He was at the beginning, he's in the middle and he will be at the end. 15 and 16 obviously speaks to the the water image, the idea of lukewarm. It's a useful metaphor and it would have made a lot of sense. I do believe that it speaks to a bigger spiritual illness and we'll come to that. But I think it's a really helpful uh, metaphor that would have made those people sit up and think, I am known, I am fully known. It says in verse 17, you say, and commentators suggest that when the city was flattened with the earthquake they would they wrote a letter to Rome to say we don't need your money and this is why because we are rich and so this is a direct quote perhaps of that letter whenever Jesus is talking to them about being refined in the fire like gold he's talking and giving a reference back to Malachi chapter 3 come to me the refiner's fire where all that is not of me will be burnt off In verse 18, I'm going to give you clean garments and you'll eat with the Lord. And then again, it refers in chapter 19 of of Revelation where all believers are going to be given clean garments and will eat with the lamb. In In verse 19, be zealous and repent. And that's a theme in the New Testament. Those whom I love, I will discipline. Those whom I love, I will discipline. And so in this letter, there's no commendation. It's simply rebuke. But he is rebuking them as a father who loves them. He is not rebuking them to shame them or to be negative for the sake of being negative. This is a father that is wanting the best for his people. This is a father who is rebuking because he loves. And he says, I stand at the door it's an evangelistic image. We see it all the time. It's still used by Alpha. I stand at the door and knock. And yet in this passage, which is the only passage that this image is in the New Testament, Jesus is saying to the church, you have got rid of me so much that I'm actually outside the door. And the door is only open from the inside. So you've got so independent, you've got so self-sufficient, you're so self-reliant that I'm outside and I'm actually knocking to get in. And I wonder if we sat and thought about that in our own lives. Has Jesus moved so far from us that he's actually outside waiting to be invited back? Have we got so self-reliant? Are we meeting our needs, our ego all the time by maybe by doing good works, by functioning well, by being busy? And we've forgotten that actually Jesus longs for us to be in deep, compassionate relationship with him. So I wonder, is he outside our door, literally of my heart, of us as a community? Have we moved so far? From passionate relationship with him that he's standing quietly knocking. He's not the one that will bluster the door down. The door opens from our side and we welcome him back. We welcome him back and what happens when we do that? I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne. That Middle Eastern image of eating a meal, it spoke of warm and beautiful friendship. And that's what Jesus is saying to them. So, although this letter is a letter of rebuke, he's saying, invite me back in, and we will go back to where we should be warm, close connection and relationship, and we will eat a meal and be together. So, if we consider all of these images, if we consider all of these themes, i imagine the spiritual illness it is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick it says in mark and i have been thinking about these images and ideas about the you're naked you're pitiful you're blind you think you're rich you're poor and i believe that the spiritual illness that they are suffering from and they need healing from and perhaps we do too is self-reliance independence, self-sufficiency, and idolatry of the elite and powerful status quo. There are repetitions in this letter again and again about these ideas, and yet spirit filled Jesus followers live as part of a group. You are not called to paddle your own boat. You are called to live in community. You're called to live it talks about if the if we've the body is an ear and and three ears and no eyes, we're not going to get anywhere. This is a call to live in community with one another, to live dependent on each other, to live authentic lives, and to live deeply connected with Jesus. The ego that we all have, and those of us who think we don't live out of our ego, we're perhaps slightly delusional. We all live out of our ego, but very often we meet our needs, of our identity and how we feel about ourselves through performance. And we isolate ourselves. And as Christians, we can do that. As the followers of Jesus, we can isolate ourselves from each other. But more importantly, we isolate ourselves from the source of all, which is Jesus. And so Jesus is saying to them, come back, let me back in, let me back in. Come and buy gold from me. Come and buy my clothes coming by my eye self you've lost sight of me my authority and also your dependence on me and if we think about that redeemer this morning and we think about that idea that perhaps we've moved so far and we need to go back i want to take us back to that beautiful matthew passage which i'm going to have to find matthew again chapter 11. I wonder if we really were honest with ourselves and and authentic living only starts with being honest with yourself first of all. Are you tired, worn out, burned out in religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you will learn to live freely and lightly. That, I believe, is the call of this letter. That, I believe, is where we are to go as as individuals and as a community in this next period. I believe the call on us is to go back to utter dependence on Jesus. Utter dependence on Jesus. To work on our relationships with ourselves, with one another, but primarily with him. To invest in that, to give it time. And I believe that if we do that and move as far as we can away from self-reliance and independence, we don't need to worry about look or otherwise. Because our passion, our heart will be so on fire with love for a beautiful one that nothing else will matter. Nothing else will matter. I was thinking this week about my dad, um, our children's papa. And he is a retired Presbyterian minister. He's 85. And he grew up um, in pretty tough circumstances. He was one of eight, five boys and three girls. And um, three of the five boys became Presbyterian ministers. So that's quite an inheritance there. And they devoted themselves to teaching and pastoring in church all of their lives. And my granny Clark was quite a tough lady. She had a tough life and she was a tough enough lady. And uh, dad left school when he was 12. That's what happened 60 years ago in a family that didn't have money. He left school at 12. He started to work, and then slowly he went back to university and, and studied Greek was his thing. He did a degree in Greek, who knew, and, um, and then divinity. But when I talked to him about what was his inspiration, he said to me, I love to read, I love to think, I love to teach. And my inspiration was always my mum, because my mum didn't read and didn't have time hand had no money or no access so I felt that on a Sunday my job was to teach and give women like my mum and men obviously but give them loads to go home and think about because they didn't get the chance to do it for themselves and so it makes me smile to think that quite a simple uneducated woman inspired him in such a way to devote his life to following God and doing what he felt was the right thing. And I'm in no way criticizing him. Uh, He's one of the, the most major influences in my life. But there's a risk in that idea that if you come to church, if you come to a gathering on a Sunday, you just come as a consumer and someone at the front hands you everything that you need to think about and know. Or the worship takes you to a place that you don't know how to get to for yourself, Monday to Saturday. And so you come as a consumer into this building and you want everything downloaded to you. Because you don't do it for yourself. And whilst I have the utmost admiration for his his passion and, and his fervor and, and what he feels dro- drove him. I want to remind us that if we just come here to the gathering as consumers to be fed, to be looked after, to be taken to places we don't go, we're missing the point of living as the children of the king. Because actually what's said by me and everyone else, the worship is not the thing. This is the thing. This is the thing coming to be reminded every week of the blood and the body of christ that was given for us and so i want to invite us now as we come to the table to perhaps come in a slightly different way this week because sometimes i wonder do we minimize the beauty and the value of it because we do it every week and so i want us to think about it this morning and come and think to ourselves I am going to come as a dependent child. I am going to let go of my self-sufficiency. I'm going to let go of my arrogance. I'm going to let go of all the things that go on in my head. And I'm going to come as a vulnerable child and eat this beautiful meal that has been provided by, for me by the most beautiful one. I want to read in the message. Hope I can find, yes, I have it here. This is the night before the cross. After sunset, he and the twelve were sitting round, And then he tells them what's going to happen. During the meal, Jesus took and blessed the bread. He broke it and he gave it to his disciples. Take, eat. This is my body. Taking the cup and thanking God, he gave it to them. Drink this, all of you. This is my blood. This is my blood. God's new covenant poured out for many people for the forgiveness forgiveness of sins. I'll not be drinking wine from this cup again until that new day, that new day comes when I will drink with you in the new kingdom and the new heaven. That is our promise, Redeemer. That is what is ahead for us. And these letters have taught us how to live well, whilst we wait for the new kingdom, whilst we wait for everything to be made new. And so this morning I'd like us to take our time and spend time at the table. Can I invite the band? I want us to think about moving away from self-reliance and going back to utter, utter dependence on Jesus. So let's stand, Redeemer. Let's stand. My last slide actually says, come to the table just as you are, real and authentic, and meet the truly beautiful one. That's, that's my heart this morning for us as a community. That is what I believe is the message that was in this letter to the church at Laodicea. Stop depending on yourselves. Leave behind all your arrogance and come to me just as you are. Let's pray as we move towards the table. Father, we come and we thank you again for your sacrifice, the sacrifice of your precious son. The one who shed his blood for us. That whilst we were yet sinners, we were saved. You saw us, you longed for us. And you invite us into beautiful and deep communion. And so, Father, we repent of all the ways, all the myriad of ways that we rely on ourselves. And we say, come and have your way. Take us back to utter dependence on you. Take us back to living free and in those rhythms of grace that you have called us to. Because in you is found freedom. In you is found wholeness. In you is found healing and restoration for our weary, tired souls. And so we give you our yes this morning. And we say thank you. Come and have your way amongst us. Amen.